Radio Maria England presents Padre's Hour, presented by Father Sam Randall. Welcome to Padre's Hour. I'm Father Sam Randall, and this is Radio Maria England. My guest for today's programme is John Pontifex. John is the Head of Press and Information for the Aid to Church and Need. He's been doing that job since 2002. And since that time, he's reported from countries where human rights violations against Christians and other minorities is rife, and including Syria, Iraq and Pakistan, China, India, Sudan, Eritrea and Nigeria. Um, I don't know, John, if I could describe you as um, the Catholic Church's equivalent to the BBC's Jon Snow. <laughs> um, that, that, that's very flattering, Father Sam, but um, I, 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 COVID has prevented me from being being too much out in the field, as it were, to yeah. going to see places where there is persecution and oppression. But we're certainly uh, rather like... Um, uh, John Snow, we're, we're obviously trying to analyse the situation and yeah. work out really what's going on in the way that he does. Um, and uh, obviously, there's been a huge amount going on, uh, particularly over these these COVID months. Yeah. And uh, with, with a lot with regard to to religious persecution to to update people on. Uh, you haven't been quiet, aid to the church in need. I mean, there's an extraordinary report, I, and I don't know if it's available online, but came out in April, I think, uh, Religious Freedom in the World Report. Uh, is that available to anyone who's interested? Yes, it is. Do do go on our, our website, acnuk.org, and you will find access to it there. Yeah. Um, and that will be, I'm sure, very uh, illuminating for people. It's It's a... There's a, a digest version of the report, which be which is the executive summary that enables people to navigate round uh, the the full details of the report and get a clear sense of what it's saying. Um, so I've I've seen the executive summary, and that already runs to fifty odd pages. So the larger report is uh, much more comprehensive. Totally, and uh, it runs uh, to to a good eight hundred pages, if not more. Wow. Uh, and so it, it does. One of the great things about Aid to the Church Needs Religious Freedom in the World Report is it does aim to be comprehensive uh, and, and detailed, looking at, at 196 countries around the world uh, and indicating the extent to which religious violations have been taking place and the extent to which religious freedom is upheld in each of those 196 countries and assessing it not just from the Christian perspective but from all the major religions perspective and indeed those without religion or without wishing to express any religious belief at all. So uh, its, it's remit is very broad and um, that's been one of the great challenges of the report and one of its strengths. Um, is I, there are other organisations? I think of Open Doors, and but Aid to the Church and Needs got a broader remit. Would you say, given that it, it looks at um, general re- religious persecutions? I think o- Open Doors is more targeted at Christian communities, isn't it? Yes, o- Open Doors uh, produces its very well respected World Watch list, mm. uh, uh, and that World Watch list is concerned with fifty countries, and its primary focus is. Uh, Christian persecution, whereas the 
religious freedom in the world report yeah. looks at every country and all main main religions wonderful i know that the government uh, take this very seriously but it's published also in french german italian i think portuguese and spanish i think so uh, all these governments governments around the world take this report uh, it, it it's got weight yes it it's got a, it's got an enormous amount of weight and uh, the idea was for it to have a uh, a very widespread publication because it has impact. It has something to say for almost every uh, uh, nation in the world. Yeah. And also, for the first time this, this year, we've looked at not only a global analysis and indeed a, a national analysis, but also a regional analysis, looking at situation continent by continent. Um, and the sense we have is that... Um, that there is a, a need for people to get a sense of things in the region mm. as much as it is important to get a sense of things nationally. Right. Um, so um, uh, that 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 has been an important development with this report. Um, right. And we're very hopeful um, that, uh, uh, you know, that people will be thereby be able to get more of a sense of what things are, what, what is going on at a regional level. Um, I want to turn attention to covid-19 yes. and ask what has been the impact of covid-19 on religious freedom worldwide yes um the impact of of covid uh, could not be more important um not least with regard to religious freedom in so many aspects of life um covid has had a major impact on people's lives but no less with regard to religious freedom and what we would say with regard to that, is that uh, clearly there are two the two main aspects to this. The first is that um, uh, areas of the world where the nation state is is battling, um, uh, you've got a situation. Um, uh, you've got a situation where uh, extremist groups have been able to to capitalise on the way in which. Um, uh, the government's or, or, uh, attention has been turned away from mm. local affairs, right. um, and, and that has provided them with a massive opportunity to to spring a series of attacks. We've seen that, particularly in African nations, that while the government's back is turned, if you like, dealing mm. with the pandemic, uh, extremist groups have set to work attacking, um, uh, and um, that that has been a major problem. The other aspect of it has been that. Um, with people moving online to to set about their their the practice of their faith, um, that's actually increased the capacity of governments to uh, monitor people's activities. Uh. And um, in places like China, there's been greater capacity for uh, the regime to crack down on people because it can see much more quickly and much more comprehensively what people's online movements are and where they feel that they've attended virtually uh, a religious service that they consider to be against the law, um, they're much better able to crack down on them. Whereas before, obviously, uh, you needed to be uh, it, it was in person, and therefore uh, the the surveillance was much more difficult to to set about at a comprehensive level. Right. Um, so so the, the the nation state has also increased its its attack on religious 
expression it considers to be against its its notion of what's appropriate and what's what's acceptable. Uh, so it's been a bad time uh, for religious freedom, the COVID period. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw, I don't know how they, this, I saw a number published of Christians who were killed uh, for their faith. Uh, last year, it's 4,761. Um, and that's not from your report. That was from a, um, Open Doors report. Uh, in what ways has Christianity been affected? I mean, this happens every year, isn't it? But do you think it's particularly bad now? Are, is Christianity particularly targeted in any way at the moment? Well, um, what we have found, and the report draws this out, is that um, certain militant groups claim, obviously falsely, uh, that COVID-19 is to be seen as a punishment from God uh, for the decadent West and um, the way in which the West has promised some kind of uh, immunity through the vaccines. Um, God is clearly expressing his authority over uh, the West and uh, pronouncing judgment on the West. Um, so very often when we refer to the West in this context, in the eyes of the extremists, the West is synonymous with Christianity. Right. And uh, to that extent, uh, we have seen uh, the West being blamed, Christianity being blamed, and that has acted as a rallying point for extremists, drawing on dissident groups, uh, disaffected youth to join their militant groups, uh, both online and, and in person. And um, we have seen uh, an increase in attacks on Christians for that reason. Um, but what we what we do also understand is that uh, in places like China, um, there has been an increase in attacks on on Christians um, because of the degree to which there has been this increased surveillance made possible by the uptake of individuals. Um, going online to to practice their faith. And, uh, for example, we had an incident um, in which uh, Christians uh, were, were targeted, uh, having been seen online acting by way of going to church, and they were, um, those individuals were, were raided uh, and imprisoned. So um, the, the, it has created greater scope to attack the church and greater motivation as well. Um, these conspiracy theories also about COVID and faith are not innocent, are they? Um, no, no, they're not. Um, and it's simple. What it's doing is it's utilizing and weaponizing um, a great degree of anxiety mm. uh, and a way in which COVID has the look and feel of an act of God in terms of its scale and in terms of uh, of the way it's impacted on in people's lives so directly, right? And, and given given that, um, it, it, this has provided a perfect opportunity, a perfect storm, really, mm. um, for uh, militant groups, regimes uh, to target faith oh, groups who they see as being inevitably uh, to blame um, for for the predicament that they're in. Well, scapegoating. Scapegoating. Yeah. Definitely. Um, 
going to have our first music break while we assimilate and, and uh, some of this information and think about it. And um, this information is shared with you, not so that it to depress you, but so that we can pray. And in solidarity with our brothers and sisters around the world. And uh, these things matter to us. It matters to the Lord. And we're called to, to care and to pray. We're going to have our first music break. This is Radio Mary England, and this year is also Padre's Hour. I'm Father Sam Randall, and my guest today is John Pontifex. Uh, John is the head of press and information for Aid to the Church in Need. And uh, so welcome back and welcome, John. Uh, we've been discussing the religious freedom in the World Report, which came out in April. And in the report, there's an extraordinary statistic that 67% of the world's population that's two-thirds of the world's population, living in countries where there are grave violations of religious freedom um, and uh, in many places, and religious minorities are being particularly targeted. I think we can take our own freedom for granted in the West. But my question for you, John, is who is it, or you know, what organisations are they who are violating religious freedoms and why? Well, this is a critical question, isn't it? Because um, religious persecution doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, and it, it's it's very important to, to understand the evolving nature of the what we call the drivers of persecution, noting that there are factors that make it a long-term proposition, i.e. that religious hatred stemming from something that, that is perennial, um, as something that's very topical, relating to uh, a knee-jerk reaction to day-to-day -day events. But the classic model in terms of trying to work out causation um, for religious persecution is to draw out two themes, two types of oppressor. The first theme relates to what we call state oppression. So these are um, by, the by their nature, governments, be they regional, uh, district, or more likely national, um, which increasingly wish to identify themselves and the nation state with a particular view on religion. Now, that might be that um, they only identify with one particular religion, as might be seen in the case of of um, India, right. which focuses on Hinduism and sees uh, the nation increasingly as being a religious uh, nation uh, founded on and providing for Hindus, or in the case of China, where it's no religion. And uh, the assertion of what we call popular religious nationalism is such that Christianity, for example, is seen uh, not only as alien, but as a forerunner 
for unwanted Western interference. If you want to keep the West out, start by blocking the progress of Christianity. And this, this factor is very well substantiated in terms of explaining a rise in attacks, not just on Christianity, but other uh, faith groups that are seen as being alien and therefore uh, to be seen with contempt. So that's the one factor. The second factor is what we call non-state actors. So these are normally to be described as uh, terrorist groups, uh, militant cells, um, who are as much a problem for religious groups who, with whom they oppose as they are for the nation state. So in, Boko, in the case of Boko Haram in Nigeria, um, they are fighting both uh, different forms of religion uh, that they see as being in opposition to themselves as they are attacking the state. And uh, the rise of these religious groups um, has been fermented and enabled by uh, the the re reduction in government to be able to oppress them and control them owing to the crisis of the pandemic. So um, we are seeing, particularly in the likes of Africa, uh, a, a, a new surge of extremism uh, that has Christianity in its sights and sees uh, the continent of Africa as being strategically significant for um, to, to bring about a worldwide assertion of a very militant extremist form of, of uh, Islamism that is incredibly harmful um, for, for world peace and, and indeed for uh, acceptance of the other. It's important to say, though, there isn't a sort of uh, conspiracy, Islamic conspiracy. And, and to, I mean, there are lots of divisions within Islam. I was thinking about Iran and Shia, you know, the, some of the tensions within, um, from our perspective, um, well, th th this is very important to say, Father, and I'm glad you mentioned it, because one of the key elements of this particular report is to draw out there is no uh, case to assert there being just one amorphous Islam. No. Um, we have a, a, what we call a backgrounder in the report, which we title, Is There One Islam, a Fat Box on Branches of Islam? And it, 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 this particular piece draws out the degree to which um, the, there, are, there are many different expressions of Islam and many of them are competing uh, against each other. Even if theologically uh, there is not much to separate them, um, politically in terms of alliances there's everything to separate them. And um, the sense in which um, uh, it, it, it becomes uh, uh, a product of lazy thinking to presume that, it's, that, that you see one group and that you decide by implication they're all the same yeah. and this is simply not the case and uh, one of the issues that we draw out in the report is the degree to which in certain situations um, uh, Christians under attack have actually drawn a great deal of support and indeed defense from uh, certain groups of Muslims who have come to their rescue and who have fought their corner and who recognize uh, the place of Christians Mm. Uh, in, in the uh, in the local community, in, in, a, in a totally different way, John, uh, is there a, a sort of any equivalence for the Christianity? Think about, say, Orthodoxy or something in in Russia or you know places where the state and, the, and faith is particularly aligned or particularly identified. 
and the, which makes other religious groups, particularly minority religious groups, uh, not such. Uh, it makes it more uncomfortable. Is that? Yes, that that is clearly, and the and Russia is a good example of mm. the degree to which um, uh, the notion of the nation state, the identity of the nation state, is more and more obviously aligned with one particular expression in this case of of christianity so um the mm. russian orthodoxy is by its nature seeing as as the national religion the nation state uh, the religious state yeah. has becoming more and more aligned and we have seen as a result of that that um non-orthodox uh, christian groups particularly uh the free churches and non uh, state registered churches have suffered yeah. uh, as a result of that uh, as being in, in a way perceived as a corruption of the true form of uh, Christianity um, even though uh, theologically there is a great deal of symmetry uh, between between the two um, but uh, it, it's simply not the case clearly that uh, the, the the aggression uh, and opposition, that's coming from that form of Christianity is to be compared with the the kind of violence and oppression that we're seeing in some other countries. So the comparison is there conceptually, but not by degree. If no, that makes I sense. see. Yeah, it's not the equivalent at all. No, um, no. And we mustn't underestimate those sorts of things. Also, there are other groups like I remember the Shia. Um, and I was thinking Baha'i peoples, actually. Um, in some countries, in Iran, for instance, terribly persecuted as a community. I mean, yes. yeah, or Ahmadiyya community in Paki in Pakistan. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. So, well, it's interesting you should mention the the Ahmadiyya community because in our uh, studies on Pakistan, which are many and various, uh, we've recognised uh, through that research the degree to which um, Ahmadiyya Muslims. Are, are state oppressed they are yeah. not allowed to call themselves muslims they are regularly having their uh, places of worship targeted and destroyed there was a case not long ago of an Ahmadiyya muslim being shot dead in court and um, the the Ahmadis are uh, traditionally they have been very heavily persecuted and um we are deeply concerned for them and we stand shoulder to shoulder with them. So mm. um, we have to make a distinction here between uh, we may not agree with their principles, we may not agree with their faith, but we do agree with their right to exist. Yeah. And out of the sometimes depressing topic of religious freedom violations uh, emerges uh, a new sense, a new desire to find common ground with people on the rights uh, on the basis of their right to exist yeah even if they don't necessarily agree with them and um if, if we take the view that people should only prosper if, if we share uh, their viewpoint that that um if we take that to the to the extreme position um then we will be in danger of giving uh, support uh tacitly or otherwise to mm. acts of aggression against them so uh, it's very, very important to respect the right of others to to express their viewpoint, provided uh, it, it is in alignment and in defense of and respect for uh, the rule of law uh, and the respect for the others. So provided they're doing that, 
there is no reason why why they should suffer and uh, we should speak out against that suffering even if we don't share their viewpoint um i mentioned prayer this bernadette farrell rise up O people i mean it's christians can do other things can't they a supporting aid to the church in need is is a is a good uh, you know response to these things isn't it well you know when we go and visit oppressed and persecuted communities and we visit families who've lost loved ones through acts of persecution uh, that so often before you take your leave of them they will stop you and say we have only one thing to ask of you please please remember us in your prayers beautiful and um, this is so sustaining at a at a deep intrinsic level um, and uh, if uh, if only others were to understand the degree to which that prayer enables people to to find a way through their suffering, they would be much readier to pray. And uh, we we know that I can think of many families in different countries, be it Nigeria, Pakistan, um, Sudan, um, Ethiopia, Eritrea, different countries around the world where the one word of one request even before request for aid very often the one word request is please pray for us beautiful um, mm-hmm. um it's something that we really need to hear today it's true uh, but i i know that you give practical support um you're working in i think over 139 countries and i i've got the statistics in front of me 2020 you supported 4758 projects so very practical support as well as prayer well indeed i mean if if we do not follow this prayer up with action then mm. there's a danger of that prayer being hollow mm. and um we very much take seriously our commitment to to be there for our brothers and sisters in faith. Yeah. And as with all families, they need practical, we need to offer each other practical uh, pastoral assistance. So, um, for example, we have, um, we're working very closely with an organization called the National Commission for Justice and Peace in Pakistan, uh, whose job is to, to provide uh, legal support, financial aid for legal support for those who are unfairly targeted and uh, who are accused of blasphemy um, where there's very little evidence to show that they've done this uh, and we we support the lawyers who fight their cases in the court we provide what we call paralegal aid for those uh, who've lost the breadwinner in the family we provide the aid so that the family uh, is fed and watered and can continue to go to school in case of the children mm. and that's just one example of uh, trying to find a very timely and practical response uh, to to the to the needs that people have as a result of persecution. Do you think? I mean, you've been working for many years with aid to the church in need. I mean, I think nearly twenty. Mm. Um, do you think things are? What do you feel? It's going to be a sort of difficult. I know you didn't know I was going to ask this, but do you think things are getting better or worse? I mean, it's a big question. Well, I think what is happening is that there is a growing um, awareness of the nature of religious persecution. I think before um, this was not something that in any way had found expression in in society. But with the Bishop of Truro's review mm. into Foreign Commonwealth Office support for persecuted Christians, that was a turning point 
um, and it coincided with a number of uh, what we call ministerials uh, looking at religious freedom, um, round tables, discussion groups. We've got the, the all-party parliamentary working group uh, on uh, religious freedom, uh, which is one of the largest supported uh, parliamentary groups in Parliament, in our Westminster Parliament. Right. We now have the UK Forb Forum, Freedom of Religion uh, or Belief Forum, um, whereby uh, there's a, a gr greater sense of the need to rally round mm. uh, those who are oppressed and, and a recognition that, yes, people can be oppressed for their race, yes, they can be oppressed for their gender, yes, they can be oppressed for their ethnicity, but they can also be oppressed for their religion. Yeah. And this, what we call faith blindness, is becoming a increasingly um, unacceptable a as a notion put forward by those able to make a difference. That, to that degree, we have seen considerable change. It's a, qu it's a question now of galvanizing that support and turning it into action um, by forcing government to take this need more seriously, taking visible steps to help victims of persecution. Um, and, the, for example, we've been focusing on the case of Mara Shabazz, the yeah. Pakistani girl uh, who was raped, forcibly married, and when she escaped from her, uh, the marriage she never wished to, to uh, get into, uh, was accused of, of of apostasy, having supposedly renounced a religion that she'd never actually willingly taken up, uh, this this girl has been hunted down uh, and and uh, at risk of being um, uh, uh, tracked down and found. Uh, and we have been calling on the UK government to provide her and her immediate family with asylum, knowing that if you really want to uh, rally in support of religious freedom, you have to attend to the needs of those who are the victims, those who are the survivors. Uh, it's no good just articulating this need. You've got to enflesh that in policy. And that's the challenge that we now face. Yeah. And part of Aid to the Church and Needs Action is to uh, to force government um, to uh, you know put their words into action and yeah. to let that be the ultimate judge of their commitment to this particular question of religious freedom um and i think i think there are there's considerable change and i think uh, the listeners uh, today and uh, all those who support the work of aid to the church in need and other groups uh, that that level of support is testimony to the way in which people want change in this area um they want government to take this more seriously they're fed up of of religious persecution being ignored, being swept under the carpet, being misrepresented, misunderstood, uh, and as the the right of religious expression uh, at being something that really must be upheld. Yeah. Do you think in the West, I know the sort of terrible generalizations, but um, there's, we we sort of touching on that some prejudice and discrimination are un absolutely unacceptable, and but there's some that are more acceptable. I mean, just a few days ago, there was an attack on a Catholic procession in Paris by a group of it was, it was in the papers a left wing extremists. Um, it, that was extraordinary. Um, I don't know. Do you think we're heading into this sort of direction in the West? where the church or Christians are sort of becoming, um, I don't mean fair game, but I mean, you understand. I do, Father. I think the key here is that there 
is what we might call a hierarchy of rights, whereby some rights outrank others. So the right of a religious group to to exist and to, to propagate its message is trumped by those whose view is to say that um, uh, you know um, gender reassignment or um, uh, the, the the right to abort a child that takes precedence over that particular religious group and therefore that religious group has no right to exist because it upholds views that are contrary to these perceptions with regard to abortion and, and gender realignment for example and um, these these groups who um, propagate these these notions to do with to do with um, the the right to abort uh, a child um, they will often be the same voices uh, decrying and speaking out against violence uh, uh, and um, yeah. acts of, of aggression but they themselves it seems are becoming perpetrators of these very crimes they call out um, and it must be possible in the 21st century to say well as a Catholic I do not believe that a, uh, an unborn child is any lesser a child uh, than, than I am who's a grown man and uh, and you know such an individual should have the right to express that view and not be yes. targeted or their faith targeted because it's not in in harmony uh, with 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 uh, a growing vocal uh, position that takes a contrary view we've we've uh, lost sight of the degree to accept a, a difference of, of opinion on some of these core issues of our day and um, it, it, it's, it's important for uh, Christians especially to find it within themselves to, to enter the discussion to have the to have the argument and have it uh, on a grown-up and mature basis yeah. and not to be scared off not to be forced into silence and not to brook uh, these kind of wanton acts of violence that you mention here and which are featured in our report, which talks a lot about acts of aggression uh, against church groups in in Latin America. And there's a very chilling image we have of a church in Chile on flame, in flames, by by groups who consider its record on certain matters with regard to, to, you know, the rights of the individual uh, to be to be so awful as to deserve it to be going up in flames and yeah. we we've we've entered this shrill age of indignation and uh whilst articulating uh the rights of the individual uh to to difference of view uh we we then set about d- damaging that very th- principle yeah thank you john we're going to take uh, a second music break now Hello, this is Radio Mirror England. You're listening to Padre's Hour. I'm Father Sam Randall, and my guest today is John Pontifex, who is the head of press and information for Aid to the Church in Need. 
Aid to the Church in Needs report on religious freedom says that in many countries, persecution and lack of freedom has got worse, particularly in Africa. John, is this a worldwide trend then? The report has two points to make on this. The first is to say that in countries where persecution is a problem, over the period under review between 2018 and 2020, uh, the situation in many of those countries got a great deal worse. In the worst category of persecution, which we call the red category, where uh, people at risk of being killed for their faith, direct risk of being killed, um, 95% of those countries saw what we consider to be a decline. Um, that decline was there, but less marked in the less severe group uh, of persecution, countries of which there are about um, 30, 35, 40. Um, but there is, of course, behind that, a whole load of other countries where the situation remains more or less um, uh, equal, give or take, to how it was. So inevitably, those countries where this problem of persecution is most severe receive the lion's share of our attention, but and rightly so, but we shouldn't forget that there are many, many other countries where we've not seen a necessary degree of change for the worse, comparable to those regarding the, the worst offending countries. Um, what you mention about Africa um, is particularly important because in the countries listed as having persecution, you'll see that there is a preponderance of African countries and that in those African countries, the situation has very clearly deteriorated Indeed. in many, if not most cases. So Africa is becoming the new front line of persecution. That tends to be how we would describe it. Um, and uh, there is a concern that different forms of extremist Islam are either banding together or acting separately to really undermine the position for uh, not just Christians, but more moderate Muslims. So um, mm. the report talks about the rise of um, a, 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 a continental uh, is, Islamism that, that is... Um, what we call transnational, i.e. it's able to to straddle um, national boundaries uh, to pose a threat regionally. And um, it's exploiting the breakdown of the nation state. It's exploiting uh, the, the increasing difficulties with regard to uh, resourcing, that's the, the, the problems that are compounded by climate change. Um, uh, and it's also exploiting uh, the increased uh, uh, deprivation we have at the moment, as we many of the listeners will be aware, uh, a, a big debate in, in the UK and more internationally about aid and the way in which the yeah. lack of aid is actually going to be driving up poverty, which in turn is driving up extremism and the reach of those with a, a, a extremist vision. Uh, making use of people's lack of information and in sheer ignorance. And Africa is a particular focus for this. And uh, the danger is that uh, uh, much of Africa could be lost to extremism of one form or another. Okay. Um, and uh, we have at the same time an explosion of Christian fervor. Uh, Tertullian, the father 
of the church of the second and third century famously said that the blood of the martyrs is, of the, is the seed of Christianity. And nowhere are we seeing that more than in Nigeria. I mean, for example, we had a webinar, um, a religious freedom webinar uh, about a month ago, in which we heard from Father Habila Dabo, who's the rector of the Good Shepherd Seminary in Kaduna in Nigeria. And Father Habila uh, is in charge of, of as many as 268 seminarians. And uh, he was explaining how four of his kid seminarians were kidnapped and one of them was killed, aged 18, Michael Nadi. And yet they are seeing this huge surge in vocations of young men willing to give their lives for their faith because um, they see it as being critical in a time when that faith is at risk of being uh, smashed up and forced underground by extremism. So there's opportunity and there's cost and there's hope and there's darkness and despair. Uh, and uh, the more extreme the one position uh, of, of, of darkness, the more greater hope there is from light in another direction. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, there is hope. But people mm. need to understand about this correlation between poverty, political and social instability and religious persecution. Yeah. They definitely do. There was a study by a professor of, of sociology and, and religion called Professor Brian Grimm, and he, he has made a, a very convincing case to show that where there is religious freedom, there, there is uh, economic prosperity, and where there is economic prosperity, there is religious freedom, that the two are, are necessary bedfellows um, for the prosperity of a nation working at all levels, but not least economically. You mentioned China earlier, and people know about what's happened with the Uyghur and so on in China. Um, they're, they're in Africa, in big places, aren't they, with all sorts of um, uh, industries, Sudan and places like this. Is that having any impact for the good? Well, it, 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 is, a, it is a great concern because um, there are major issues with regard to China's position on human rights. Yeah. And that that approach is by implication making its way into um, into Africa more and more, and um, uh, we we need rightfully to be concerned that uh, the the growth of uh, Chinese outreach could yet have a major detrimental impact with regard to to the rights of the individual and and religious freedom rights yeah. per se, um, and um, what we're seeing with the Uyghur. Muslims um, in Xinjiang state in, in China um, is a very bad warning. Um, if that's how they treat their own people, what will they be doing with those with, from over whom they have some influence in countries where there where there is economic dependence yeah. on China? So th this is this is a deep deep concern. And China has, in the time that I've been at Aid to the Church Need, gone on. Uh, a trajectory of of uh, bad to worse and worse to worst uh, with regard to religious freedom, uh, meaning that um, today in this particular report, um, the author of our China report, Ben Rogers, uh, has indicated that, that the situation of China today is um, uh, getting to the stage where it can be compared with how it was uh, in the days of the Cultural Revolution, wow. uh, that, that, that things are beginning to move in that direction where you can make, begin to start making that comparison. Yeah. So that's very chilling. Uh, and 
um, the the strenuous denials from the Chinese state about what's happening in 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 China with the Uyghur Muslims uh, make clear the intent to which they they wish to to create propaganda and and simply silence the truth. Mm. Um, when you look at the report, there's good data on Africa and most of it's grim. Uh, most of the countries, the situation's got worse in the last couple of years. But when I looked at it on, on Latin America, there wasn't much data. Why is that, John? Well, um, I, I'm not sure whether I would actually agree with the, 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 the assertion that uh, there isn't much data on... OK, on... I'm just looking at the summary, because there's three yes. countries, Cuba, Nicaragua and Venezuela that I mentioned. But... Yes. Yeah. Well, we do, we do have a whole section of, okay. on Latin America. Right. Um, but I... I and. Um, we, we draw out the degree to which the left-wing extremism, which you mentioned, is particularly problematic in Latin America, yeah. featuring the case of the, the church in Chile, which was set aflame yeah. uh, by, by such, such groups. Um, but I, I, I suspect that by wishing to emphasize the impact of extremism on Africa, uh, the degree to which um, religious nationalism is increasingly a problem in the likes of India, in China, in Turkey, and elsewhere, uh, it inevitably comes at the expense of a focus in other areas, um, and hence why you you would you know get this the idea that uh, Latin America has not given the attention. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm very but sorry. But it stands there. Yeah, yeah. Actually, in the full report, um, each country in Latin America is covered. Right. Um, um, is, is there anything else in the report you'd like to highlight before we f we finish? Yes, there is. There's a key element here, the, and that is that it's very easy to become dispassionate about this topic. And for purposes of academic research and analysis, uh, that dispassionate uh, approach is necessary. But we, of course, come to this issue as, as Christians and as Catholics. We come to it as well as human beings, mm -hmm. recognising that the the, the focal point of this study must surely be on the, the individuals mm. who suffer persecution. And as someone who's travelled to countries and visited the families, visited the priests, visited the communities uh, who suffer persecution, I'm very keenly aware of the need to uh, really respond to their needs. And, for example, today we just put out a, a news story following an interview I had with a young woman in Pakistan uh, called Neelam, who uh, was um, at home one night and she was set upon by a near neighbour who tried to, who raped her, um, who um, for, tried to force her to marry him, uh, tried to force her to, to convert uh, away from her Christianity. And when she refused, she tried to kill him with the, uh, by uh, hitting her with the butt of a gun. And um, this girl, this woman, uh, stood up against him. And it was only because her cries attracted the attention of her neighbour, uh, who happened to be her cousin, who then rushed round uh, and the, the, then the, the attacker then fled into the night. She wanted to tell me her story. I listened to her give her story on Friday. She gave me the full breakdown of what happened to her. And her thinking was... Yes, I'm at risk by telling my story. It puts me at greater risk of being hunted down by those 
who, who, who are appalled at my determination to stand up against this man. But if we don't hear those stories, how can the world change? And the primary focus is about compassion. Compassion um, that's made more the stronger by our commitment of faith, that uh, our, the blood ties, if you like, of, of our Christian fellowship are so strong as to warrant our direct attention. And it's vital that we, we work um, together to help the victims, uh, the survivors of persecution, uh, giving them back the rights that have been so cruelly denied them. Yeah. Thank you, John. Um, if you've anything in this program has touched you in, in any way, I mean, do get in touch to, with us at info at radiomaria.uk and do get in, go on the Aid to Church in Need website. I'm sure that uh, John will be willing to answer any questions if you, if you want to get uh, and talk with him. On Friday is a special prayer day for Aid to the Church in Need. It's also the Feast of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. And, um, of course, that feast recalls Christ's infinite love for us. And without Christ, any of the work that aids the church in need and the work of the church is impossible. And um, so it's a day to pray for the work of aid to the church in need. John, I'm, well, may I conclude by praying for you and uh, all that you do and aids to the church in need. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God made manifest in Christ. And we know that nothing is too small or too great for his concern. So we come before you. We bring before you all the things we've discussed, all this suffering. And we give thanks for the work to aid to the church in need. And we say, Lord Jesus Christ, in you dwells the fullness of divinity. May you enliven our frail humanity with your love. Lord Christ, in you the Father pours out his love upon the earth. Lord, we give thanks for that love. Redeem us in our lovelessness. Lord Jesus, from the fullness of your love we have all received, may your love overthrow through the lives of all those we meet and through the work of the church and aid to the church in need. Lord Jesus Christ, in your love is all our hope for the life to come. May you lead us in the way of salvation. O God, our Father, in honouring the heart of your beloved Son, we tell the wonders of your love for all people. May aid the church in need. Your church always mirror your love to the whole world. We offer this prayer and at the work of aid to the church in need and all that John does to you. And we offer it through Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John, very much. And thank, thank you, you for God. listening. It's been lovely to talk to you. God bless you and bless, your work. Yeah, may God bless you and all you do and all your work. Thank you.